thread. A singular thought expanded upon. Thread is the podcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. For more information, log on to Quinley.com. Hi, this is Chuck Quinley, and welcome back to Thread, episode 59. Uh, this time I'm trying something I have never tried before. I'm in a, uh, I'm actually in the airport in Tokyo, and I got a three-hour layover, and I'm in the glorious Northwest, uh, now Delta Airlines lounge, and so they had a kitty room here, which isn't being used because it's about nine o'clock at night, and I decided, well, let's take it over and try to make a studio out of it for the next half hour or so, and see if I can catch up on the next edition of Thread. And I want to say thanks to everybody who's tuning in and who is spreading the word. We were at about 1,200 people in the audience a couple months ago, and now we're up to about 2,500, and that's really cool. And I would love to hear from you. We've got people tuning in from St. Louis, Chicago, Huntsville and Decatur, Alabama, Birmingham, uh, Norfolk, uh, Phoenix, Chattanooga, Austin, Los Angeles, Jacksonville, Fairbanks, Alaska, Baltimore, Anchorage, San Diego, Atlanta, Tampa, Denver, just to name the top markets. And uh, most are using the iTunes platform. Some are getting it right off of the internet in different ways. So that's one of the nice things about podcasting versus broadcasting is we get a lot of uh, feedback mechanisms. When the shows are downloaded, we can tell where they were downloaded and uh, kind of let you know, you know where the people are who are listening to you. So I want to say thanks to everybody for tuning in. And I hope that this has been helpful to you. We're moving down toward the end of the Gospel of Mark. We just have uh, this episode and then one more after this, and then we move on to another part of the Bible. Uh, I think I might take a few episodes and just talk from my heart to leaders about some of the principles in leadership and some of the things that I have found helpful to me over the last uh, 20 years of real solid leadership work. And uh, I would really love, you know, one of the things that I, I have a teaching gift, and a lot of people do, that's not unique, but one of the things about somebody that really is a called teacher is that, first of all, we love to learn and discover things. We, we realize we're not the fountain of that knowledge. We get it from other people. We get it from experience. Sometimes we get a, a revelation from God, and that's always exciting. But, uh, uh, you know, most of the time that revelation comes through other people, through our reading, through, you know, just trying to keep your eyes open and learn the best that you can. And um, the thing about someone called to teach is as soon as they get that knowledge, they want to pass it on. And uh, so that's what I that's what I would love to do with you. And so I think I'm going to do that for a couple of episodes and then probably take up another Bible book and go verse by verse. Now, one of the unique uh, things about being in this airport lounge is that there's background music, and I ask them, and they they say they can't turn it off and they can't you know alter it even in this room. So who knows what the music's going to be like behind us? But hopefully, it won't be too distracting. So anyway, if you don't have your Bible this time, we're in Mark chapter sixteen, verse nine through fourteen. 
and we're going to be talking about belief, the importance of, of faith and believing in the life of a leader. So if you don't have your Bible, run, get one. Come right back. All right, we're back. Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 14. Let me just read it out loud for you. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. And after these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking in the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. And afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Belief. And the, um, the predisposition to believe. That's kind of what, what this topic is. You know, in verse 9 there, we saw Mary Magdalene going to the house of mourning because she had had an experience. She was an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He had spoken to her she had uh, clung to him, and he says in the Greek, uh, stop clinging to me. I, I have to go back to, I haven't gone to my father yet. Uh, so, you know, she's had a, a, she's touched him. She knows it's not a dream. She has a, an eyewitness um, testimony. She comes to the house of mourning when she tells it. Uh, the Greek word, um, ah, pisteo, there's pisteo, to believe. And then there's ah, which negates it in the Greek. In other words, uh, we could translate it, they put no confidence in her words. They did not believe. And then he, uh, the second uh, appearance there was the retelling of the two men from Emmaus that were on a journey, and that's recounted in another gospel at, at great length. And they also come back. Now this time it's not, it's not women whose testimony wasn't in those days allowed in court. But now it's two of the men that were part of the fellowship. And these two men come back and, and they say the same thing. Christ was with us. He walked with us. He talked with us. He sat down to eat with us. And then he was gone. And it says the same words. They did not believe them. They put no confidence in their words. And then Jesus shows up. And in his very first appearance to all of the disciples, he appears to them to rebuke them. And he rebukes them about this one thing, the condition of disbelief. Because they had in themselves, and I, I think this is a modern problem too, they had a default precondition of doubt and cynicism and disbelief. They automatically didn't believe. That was their default state, was to doubt things. And you know, the whole basis of our walk with God, because we're talking about a, a supernatural walk, a walk with a God you cannot see, who created the world and you weren't there, who 
who put the stars in place, who wrote the book about your life and my life, but who is as real as we are, if not more. And our relationship with that God is built upon faith. It's built upon confidence and trust. Jesus talked a lot about the childlike trust that is a prerequisite of those who really, really want to know God and walk with God. And That is, you can't constantly be doubting and disbelieving and pushing back the reality of what God is revealing to you. You can't have it in your mind that you're, you know, that's always the state that you're in is you're the state of a doubter so that when we when we pray for someone's healing before you even finish praying, you're already kind of going, well, but, you know, if God doesn't heal, then I, I guess that's OK, too. Or, you know, uh, well, I, I, I guess we can kind of hope for the best. You got to believe things. I mean, you don't believe everything because it's foolish to believe everything. Even the word faith, I love, you know, Greek's a real expressive language, and the word faith cannot exist in a sentence by itself. The, really, the only way you could translate the word faith, the concept, is faith in, and then there's a blank. So, you know, right now I'm sitting on these little, these little chairs in this room. I have faith on the, in the chair that it won't break. And some chairs, when I look at them, I, I don't have faith in them, so I, sit, I either don't sit or uh, I sit very gently on them but these look like big sturdy strong chairs and so I'm I'm putting my full body weight on them it's faith in and what makes you know faith is um what makes faith okay is when you know that the thing you put your faith in is faith worthy or trust worthy and if I don't know you know for example Sherry she's trustworthy I can trust her with my secret, I can share my weaknesses with her. She is trustworthy. But now if she wasn't, or if I'm dealing with someone else who has not yet proven that they are trustworthy, you know, it's, a, it's right for me to hold back a little bit. Uh, but, you know, some people really never, they never develop relationships with other people because they don't have confidence in anybody. They don't trust people. And so they're their relational level can't go very deep. You can't have a marriage without being able to trust each other, without believing the best automatically. You know, so it's, it's a, Jesus rebukes them because it's like that's our choice. We can choose to predispose our mind to have confidence, to have confidence in God, to have confidence in the words of trustworthy people, he expected them to believe Mary Magdalene. She had proven herself. She was part of their group. They knew her life. And he expected them to listen to her. And those two brothers, when they came and said the same testimony, he expected them to listen to them, to trust them, to automatically put confidence in them because they were trustworthy. And so when Jesus shows up, he doesn't just say, oh, my brothers. He shows up to rebuke them. He says, how can it be that you have no faith? Even yet you have no faith. And, you know, he says that to them more than once in the years when he is training them. So, you know, would the Lord rebuke us for our level of disbelief in our mind? Because faith is a precondition for salvation. It's a pre, let me say it again. Faith, confidence in God, trusting God trusting the blood of Jesus, trusting the testimony about 
what the sacrifice of Jesus did, that is a precondition for salvation. You won't be saved without it. It's an open, innocent, childlike trust of God. I trust you. I believe you. I completely believe you. Verse 16, if we look in the same passage, Jesus goes on to talk about the importance of belief. Now he's talking about um, how, how we come to be saved. He said, I'm rebuking you for your disbelief, but I want to tell you that whoever believes, whoever believes and acts on it, whoever believes and is baptized, will be saved. Whoever believes and acts upon it will be saved. Whoever does not believe, whoever persists in their disbelief, whoever persists in their cynicism and their doubt and pushing away the truth, whoever does not believe will be condemned. It's right there. And then in verse 17, I'm really going to pick up on this next time, but he talks about these signs will accompany those who believe. He doesn't say those who are special to God or those who are apostles. He says, these are the signs that accompany those who simply believe in my name. They cast out demons. They speak in new tongues. Uh, if serpents bite them, uh, they will not be hurt. He goes on, they can lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Believing. Believing. Signs follow believers. The first designator for Christians was to call them believers. So let me just challenge you with this question. Are you a believer? You know, uh, Rob Bell just wrote his book, and no doubt the controversy alone is going to make him a million dollars, on his book where he's doubting uh, the existence of hell. You're a disbeliever in hell because, you know, he says, it doesn't square with my feelings about what would be fair and what would be right. I just can't worship a God who would do this or that. You know, hell's not something we can get wrong. And I have to decide why I believe the things I believe. Either I believe the scriptures to be a valid and trustworthy record of God's truth, or I don't. And if I do believe the scriptures, I should have a reason why I trust the scriptures. What is it about the scriptures that makes you trust them? What's the ground of your belief? But belief is, you know, that's the bedrock. That's what we're talking about. That's what they called Christians, believers, not doubters, not cynics, not uh, disbelievers, but we were the ones who believed. So are you a believer? Is it easy for you to believe? Do you fully believe in the doctrine about Christ? Do you believe? In the virgin birth, do you believe in the substitutionary atonement? Do you believe in a real heaven? Do you believe in a real hell? Do you believe in the kingdom of God? Do you believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Do you believe in the mission of the church? Do you believe that anyone can be saved? Do you believe that the blood of Jesus gives you power over all the power of the enemy? Do you believe that you have authority over the devil? Do you believe that God will talk to you in your dreams? Do you believe that God will guide you? Do you believe that being right with Jesus through his blood, through grace, puts you in a special status with God as his adopted child forever and you enter into his family and you have a certain now new level of privileges? Do you believe these things? 
If so, you're a believer. And congratulations and welcome to the family of God. We need to examine the state of our trust. The state of our trust in the doctrine of Christ. The state of our trust in the sovereignty of God. The state of our trust in God's good work in the lives of others. That we can trust other people. If we see God's spirit working in their lives, we can trust those people. We can open up our heart and believe the testimony of others. We can trust people. We can lower our guard. And we can believe in God's good work in our own life. That he who began a good work in you, you got to believe that it's a good work and that God is working. So he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete that work. you got to believe that. You decide in your mind, do you believe that all things work together for the good of those who are called by God? Do you believe that God's offer of salvation is for you and that you can embrace it by faith? That you can just take it to yourself and say, Lord, this I believe. I will stand on this. Do you believe that God has forgiven you for everything you've ever done and you don't need to feel guilty and beat yourself up with it? Do you believe that you have the power to overcome anything that life throws at you? Do you believe that your children are going to turn out well? Do you believe that you will live and not die? Do you believe that God has a better future for you than than you're even experiencing right now? Do you believe that even in your dark valley that this is doing something good in your life and that it's going to work for you in the end, that it's not the end of your story, it's just a chapter in your story. Do you believe these things? And if you do, stand on it. Tell yourself what you believe. Speak it out because faith grows through our speaking our faith. Don't speak your doubt. Speak your belief. What is it that you do believe? If you're, if you're doubting about something, Okay, be quiet on that one. Speak what you do believe. And speak it and let that certainty and that confidence rise up inside of you because it's a powerful thing. That's where this, you know, that's where positivity comes from is that you have a set of core beliefs and you stand on them and you are firm in those convictions and nothing can make you waver. So I just pray for, for you and I pray for myself too that all the power of the Holy Spirit will settle on your mind because this is a doubtful, cynical age. Every truth in the Scripture is being torn down and as prophesied in the Scripture, these are the days when evil things, wicked things, are are relabeled as rights and um, different, uh, what would we call this, different paths for different people and who are we to judge and that, you know, evil is being called good And then just standing for good is being labeled bigotry, narrow-mindedness, fanaticism. Evil is being called good. Good is being called evil. If you're going to make it to the end, if your faith is going to last in an age like this, you've got to know what you believe. You need to say it out loud. You need to be firm, strong in the doctrines upon which you are building your life. And pass those on to your children, especially in their youngest, youngest years. Because while they're young and soft, you can 
fill their little minds. They can hold Scripture verse on top of verse. They can memorize God's Word. And then as they grow older, you can help them to live it out. So God bless us all as we tighten up our grip on our belief, even in a cynical age, that we, we don't allow sarcasm and cynicism to become our sense of humor, but that we are sincere in our belief that our God is a good God, that one God made the whole world, made us, has a plan for us, and has reached out to us in love, and is walking and talking and directing the events of our life on a daily basis out of his love for us and out of his determination to make us into the image of Jesus Christ. That's all for now. If you want to contact me directly, I would love to hear from you. Just email me, chuck at quinley.com. We'll see you next time on Thread. Sayonara.